0: So reading from Philippians three verse seventeen, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're in this destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we, wait, uh, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I long for, my crown and joy, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Okay. We've been working uh, through Philippians uh, and we, we've we really had to slow down because we can't get more than about three verses a week now because there's too much in it. And uh, Paul has been saying again and again in Philippians, Jesus is everything. He's everything. Um, and he also said, seems to be saying, and he's definitely saying here, there's something about this life that we live here which is not all what life is about. In fact, it's kind of, Uh, It's of second importance. And he says things like to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says he has no confidence in himself. He has no confidence in who he is. His hope is in the resurrection, in his future with God. And last week uh, we heard from Bruce about straining towards a goal, which is heaven with Christ, Um. Everybody in this world strains towards something. Everybody's putting their effort into something. That's true, isn't it? Uh, working towards something which will bring, in in some respect, some hope, perhaps some freedom, perhaps some free time, perhaps uh, some blessing for their family, uh, something that's life-giving. But what Paul says is, I'm straining towards something which is kind of otherworldly, it's heavenly. I'm putting all my effort uh, knowing Jesus, who's in heaven. I'm putting all my effort into making Jesus known, who's in heaven. And particularly, his focus is on uh, his joy, he says his greatest joy, will be after he dies. That's not what people in this world are putting their time and effort into generally, is it? Yeah, no, no one's... Sorry, you missed the question. Yeah. He's putting his effort, his heart, his mind, his hope, not in earthly things, but in heavenly things. Now, we might say something like, well, here's Paul, Uh, he's in jail, he is, and there's about to be a verdict and that verdict for Paul is death or life. So maybe, you know, sitting there, he's just thinking about uh, morbid thoughts. He's just thinking about, I might die, so i better think about these things. But you see, also, <coughs> last week, a am pinching all Bruce's stuff. He said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of an upward call of God in Christ Jesus... Let, all, let those of us who are mature think this way. If anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you later. In other words, you'll get it one day. What he's saying is this. To live this life with your eyes lifted to the things of God and to Jesus in heaven and to our future hope there is actually mature Christianity. And to put all your hope in this life, well, that's immature Christianity. Or, or even a lot worse. I, 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 my example is this. We like going to music concerts. You like to go to see a good band. We do anyway. And you go to see a good band, and there's a gathering, sometimes, you know, 500 people, sometimes 20,000 people at some of the concerts we've been at. And you kind of get there, and there's this expectation in the crowd, and, and everybody's there ready to hear, and then somebody comes on the stage, you don't even know who they are. It's the backup band. Right? Some second-rate, yeah, some, some... Yeah, and you listen to them. Well, you, you tolerate them. It's just not what you're there for, right? Yeah? Or, to give another example, if I were to use um, Nick and Christina or Jack and Heather, who are engaged... <coughs> No one sits there. You notice, as soon as a young couple gets engaged, they're going, we should just get married now, shouldn't we? We should just, why don't we just, we can just go down the registry office, they're always saying stuff like that, and, and, and just go and do it. Because no one gets engaged to be engaged, right? That's kind of like, that's, that's the, what, the backup ban, That's what that is. Yep. You tolerate it but you look forward to what you really want. Do you get what I'm saying? We were, made for, we were made to be with God perfectly. We're actually not with him perfectly now, although he is perfectly with us. That might sound like a strange thing. But our sin gets in the way and we get distracted. And you know, It's like the person who says, oh, I love reading the scripture. I read the scripture the other day. It was so good. And then this strange thing happened the next day. I didn't read it. Yeah. Ever, ever have that happen to you? Yeah? Because we're just not... There's something cloudy about where we are now. But one day, we know we will see him face to face and we will love him perfectly. Now, Jesus died to restore us to a relationship with the Father. And his spirit in us causes a yearning, a longing to be with him. It's a heavenly yearning. But it's not just a yearning for heaven with gold on the pavement and stuff like that. That's not it. I mean it's about being with him. It's about being with Jesus. It's about being with the Father. That's what we've got to look forward to. And anything less than perfect fellowship with him is kind of the second-rate band at the start. It's like the engagement without the marriage. Does that make sense? OK. So this is what Paul's talking about. It's what he's always on about. It seems to be his all in all. So he starts by saying this brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now Paul is saying, I don't know if I could say this, Paul's saying, you should be like me. You should think like me. Uh, I'm not going to say it to you, it's okay, Linda, you're looking worried. Right is it it, well, it sounds a bit it sounds proud to say you should think like me, but I, I want to put it like this: if I say trees are green and you really really should think like me and be like me in believing that trees are green." is that right? It is because trees are green <laughs> true it's not necessary. It's a good example, I think. Thanks. It's not being proud. It's just saying, if this is the truth, the best thing for you to do is to believe it. And if Jesus is at the centre of my life and I live like that, and I know that he's actually the centre of this whole world, the best place that you could be, Paul's saying, is to live like me and or to follow the examples of others who are the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. That's excellent. So, put your hope in me. But then Paul does uh, what he often does in his letters, is he talks about, there's a group of people who he's talking about within the church who, who don't live in that way. They have a different view. He says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. With mindset on earthly things. A group of people, there are many of them, he says. So we're not talking about three people. We're talking about a, a lot there's a lot of people who think differently than this. And they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, I don't say this lightly, he says, I say this with tears. It distresses him to see people not living the way. That they should. So he's not saying it proudly. He's crying over those who put earthly things as most important, who put their hope in this life. Now Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If for this life only, this life only, what we live on earth, we live for Christ, we are to be pitied above all men. In other words, if, if, if I'm only living, and I think that my living for Christ is in this life alone, please feel sorry for me, because I'm a waste of space. Don't, that's not the way it is. But in that whole chapter, what he's talking about is the resurrection. The resurrection hope. When we live only for this earth, what we will be busy doing is creating Eden. Well, not Eden, you know, the Garden of Eden, the, the Garden of Paradise. But we have, we'll be creating Little paradises, little Eden's. We we each want our own garden of delight, whether it be, you know, a great mansion or even a cubby house, it doesn't matter. It's that place where we feel peace and we feel fulfilled, we feel secure, we feel everything's just where we want it to be in this world. In this world. We try and make our own Eden's. In the end they're hopeless. They're pointless, and, well, even worse than that, they can actually distract us from the truth of Jesus because this uh, thing of focusing only on the world, Paul says, it causes people to be lost. It causes them to be without God. If it, just imagine, I know you look at me and you think, now there's a fine specimen of a man. Strong, good-looking, good head of hair, all that stuff. How hair should be. Hey, Bruce. Um, imagine if all my hope was in this body, right? And, I, and uh, then, then my hope is not in the future, not in the resurrection body. And what happens is it's kind of an eclipse. An eclipse. You know what the eclipse is? The moon goes in front of the sun that goes dark. Right? Well, what happens is the things of this world eclipse the bright, glorious light of, of God, and we end up darkened. We end up futile in our thinking, because our Edens don't cut it. They are not the paradise that we aim for. And all of our recreation in this world is focuses on the trees of the garden. And the bushes and the water. What was so good about Eden? They walked with God in the cool of the evening. They they, they were with God face to face. They knew him. That's the glory. We will walk with our beloved. That's what we look forward to. So Paul is shedding tears over these people who seem from a worldly point of view, they're doing very well. But they're lost. And he talks about these people. He says five things about them. He says, number one, they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And they have minds set on earthly things. They're as enemies of the cross. First one. He doesn't say they walk as enemies of Christ. You might expect that. But you see, we're not talking about, a, we actually can be talking about a religious people. People who see Jesus as a way of achieving earthly glory. So Jesus, come to know Jesus and he will give me a glorious life now. That's what his job is, isn't it? Jesus is my vehicle to fulfil my earthly desires. That's what they think. So they put their hope into Jesus, which is not the true Jesus. Not the one who will bring earthly glory or earthly peace, or earthly joy. Jesus becomes a kind of self-fulfillment tool. He brings hope only for this life. You see, why they, it doesn't say they are, they're enemies of Christ. It says they're enemies of the cross of Christ because there's something about the message of the cross which is extremely distasteful for those who love this world. It's the message of the cross which divides people. It's the message of suffering, a suffering God, a suffering Christ. The message of Jesus showing that all human strivings had to be put to death with him on the cross. They weren't worth it. You see, what happens on the cross is Jesus does not affirm all our hopes and dreams and our desires. That's not what happens. He actually shows them up. He shines a light on them. He shows all those things that are evil. And what he shows is that God is at the centre. And Jesus had to die for that. He died to take away our sins, not to help us with our desires. And he died to restore us to God so that we'll have a perfect relationship with God. We have a guarantee now, the Holy Spirit with us, and we have a future hope of a perfect, perfect perfected relationship with him, not from our little Edens, but from his Eden, the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth. So enemies of the cross actually hate to hear about suffering because you see, if all of your hopes and dreams are in this world, what is the worst thing? Suffering, hardship. Sickness, death. True? If all your hopes are in this world. If your hopes are all in the resurrection hope of Christ, all in the future, will sufferings, hardships, sickness, death, upset that? No. No. Can you see that? So suffering, in in a way, actually points us towards our need for eternal life in Christ. Jesus says, "To follow me is to take up your cross. It's to suffer with him, but ultimately, it's from that hardship, from those hardships, where our real hope is found. And our real hope is in not this body and this perfect health and this kind of thought that you know, by the time I get old, we're going to be living to one hundred and fifty. Who wants to live to one hundred and fifty? No, he blesses us." with suffering in this body so that we look forward to the hope which is to come. The suffering in this body means we lift our eyes to him. But those who put their hope in the world, their hope in Christ for the world, are enemies of the cross. We must hold the cross as most important, most central, most wonderful. There we see the true nature of God, the true love of God. We see the Saviour. It's most important. It's where our hope really lies. Uh, Secondly, it says they're in this destruction. Those who hate the cross will end in destruction. That means eternal punishment. The cross brings salvation. Just in case you think it's a bit unfair. The cross brings salvation and he he brings through the cross our only salvation. So if we reject that and say we don't want the cross, we don't want that salvation, God says, okay, well, you won't get it because you don't want it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Those who despise the cross, whether they be out of the church or in the church, will end in destruction. Their God is their belly. That's a good thought, isn't it? We love the finest foods and we sit there and we think, and heaven will be like this. And and I... I said and I had this thought that I remember when we were kids and we had Christmas, when when life was a bit more... Well, we didn't have as much as... I reckon the food we had for Christmas back then, we just about get every day now, isn't it? There's, there's, a, there's a thought that we had the most wonderful lives. It's not, it's not helping some parts of our bodies, but that's OK. Um, we... When when your food, when sorry, when your God is your belly, it's like I just want to be fulfilled with that full feeling you get from being fully full of the good stuff all the time. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I hopefully you do. And um, Amos is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was talking about the people of God, the religious people, the people of Israel. And in in, in Amos chapter 6, verse 3, he says of these people, these are God's chosen people, but they've put the things of this life ahead of God. It says, you put off the day of disaster and bring a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowl full and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. I don't know if you've got the same version, similar to that, is it? Yep. They live their hopes, they live everything for this life, and they've got it all. But they're not grieving over the fact that God's temple is not a place of worship anymore. Can you see that? Their whole life has become about themselves. And I want to tell you, every one of those persons that Amos wrote to is now dead. That might seem obvious. Since they lived 2,600 years ago, 2,800 years ago maybe. But actually, I don't know about you, but all of my great-grandparents are dead. Actually, all my grandparents are dead. Life shoots through. This all narrows us down to the realisation that our life is not for this life alone. We can build our Eden's. It will not see us out. And worst of all, they put off the day of disaster. I don't want to think about that. I don't need to think about that. I'm just going to retire, get my caravan, and probably I reckon I've got 30 or 40 good years driving my caravan. Yeah. They put it off in their minds. They put off God's plans. Their glory, or they glory in their shame, or their glory is their shame. The things that they consider to be glorious are actually shameful. That's what happens in this world, isn't it? Have you noticed that this world says shameful things and it says, you know that shameful act? That is just the most wonderful thing. Their glory is their shame. It's not wonderful. To leave behind the law of God is not wonderful. It's shameful to put... Loves in front of love for God. That's called idolatry. We fashion false gods and we worship and say this is going to give us everything, it's going to be wonderful. Actually, it's lustful shame. It is not glorious to love the things of this world. If you read one John in one John two somewhere he says something like, Do not love this world or anything in it. And then he explains the lust of the eyes and so on. And he finishes that book, his last statement is, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. In other words, don't get overtaken by the loves of this world. They're shameful, even though they promise glory. He sums it up with set on earthly things. That's how they see things are seen. They are the things of this world. Our hopes and our dreams and our plans and, and so on. I'm not talking about the ones with God. It's kind of like you can do that and see Christ and eternal life with God not as the main game, but as an insurance policy. Uh, Yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus, yeah. Uh, uh, Not his centre of my life, but when I get to the end, if something happens or something goes wrong, I've got my insurance policy, my Jesus policy, and I cash that in, and here I go. You see, the heart of secular Westernism that's what we mostly live in is this secular earthly at the centre this life everything and therefore that hate for suffering the hate for the cross but you see as Christians our hope is in a relationship with God with the God whom we know through Jesus Christ and we know ...that this world is passing away. The book of Ecclesiastes... Has anybody ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Do you find that encouraging? What does it start with? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then he goes through all the things in his life that are meaningless. And he's done some great things. He's Solomon, one of the richest and most famous people in this world. And he looks back at it all as an old man and he goes... ...it's meaningless... That's actually not the whole point of the book. The whole point of the book is this. If you live your life horizontally, if you live your life only seeing this world, yes, it's meaningless. But if you, look, if you live your life also vertically looking to God, there is great meaning in those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I, I just want to read you. It's one of my favourite passages. I don't know why I love it, but it's just kind of, the, I like sarcasm. sarcasm? Uh, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 7 He says Go, eat your food with gladness Drink your wine with a joyful heart For God has already approved of what you do Always be clothed in white And always anoint your head with oil Enjoy, Enjoy your life With your wife, whom you love All the days of this meaningless life That God has given you under the sun All your meaningless days And there's such hope But it's like the world is put right where it belongs. Now, what I want to say is this. Always be clothed in white. Let it be the robes of righteousness that come through Christ. Always anoint your head with oil. Always have the Holy Spirit. Walk the walk of the Holy Spirit. And then life, yeah, some days you're going to go, this is meaningless. But this is not an undermining of everything in this life. I believe that... Um, having Christ at the centre and looking to the future hope that he's given to you is not a dour and negative way to live. It actually makes life better because you live with realistic expectations. Don't you? If you live with Christ at the centre and his resurrection and his eternal life, tell me what can shake you? What can trip you over? Nothing. Nothing can. Um, you know, it's like we say to young married couples, they're getting married, we say, put God at the centre and he is the one who will fulfill all of your needs. Then you're, just say you're getting married to a girl, your, your wife can just be your wife. If you put the expectation on her that she will fulfill all of your desires and your heart and make you eternally blessed forever. One day you're going to wake up and say, she's not cutting the mustard. She's not doing it, is she? Right? But if you know that God takes that place, then your wife can be your wife. And when she sins and fails and lets you down, you'll go, yeah, what do I expect? And when when you let her down, she'll say the same. Can you see that? When we live, knowing what God has given us through Christ is the most important, what can let us down? Our expectations of this world are are actually realistic. They're real. So Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, our passport, is from heaven. When we go overseas, we visit somewhere else, but it's not our home. Our home is in heaven with God. We're citizens of heaven, currently visiting earth. But there's this ache in us for him and to be with him. And we know that he is the fulfilment of it all. We're awaiting, we're kind of in that concert, and we're waiting the main show. Yep, we're engaged and we're waiting to be married. What are we waiting for? Again. Don't think of heaven. Don't think of people who talk about mansions. We're going to have mansions. We're going to have this and that. Maybe we'll get a BMW. Yay. It'll be a fool. Um, What are we waiting for? What's the main game? The Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the sweetest name, the most wonderful. He is everything to us. He is so precious to our hearts. He's our rock. He's our redeemer. He's our hope. He's our joy. And he's who we're waiting for. We wait the second coming of Christ. He's everything to us. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's Jesus' body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It takes that same power that he's subjected all of the earth under his control will raise us from the dead and give us new bodies. How awesome is that? Because there's nothing more shameful than a decaying body, whether it's in life or in death. But you see, the body that we receive will never decay. It will never be humiliated. It will live forever. He will give us an immortal body, the same as the body that he's given the Lord Jesus. And what we can do with that body is what we're made for, even in this body. You know what we're made for? To know Jesus and worship him. How about that? We're made to worship him. Well, in that body which lasts forever, we will perfectly worship him forever and we will be always fulfilled and we will always be in Eden and we'll always have everything we have because we'll be home. That's what our life's about. And if I could say this without being proud, any true Christian, any mature Christian should think like this because that is maturity. Therefore, my brothers, he says, whom I love and long for, he longs for the people of the church, my crown and my joy. Stand firm thus. Stand firm in this. Keep it at the centre of your mind in the Lord, my beloved. I'm going to pray. Father, we know in our hearts that you are the centre of everything. Your spirit within us gives us this yearning for you. We long for you. And we thank you for that yearning. We thank you also that you've done everything needed to bring that yearning into fulfilment through your son Jesus. Father, I pray that you would bless us with a deeper yearning for you. I pray that you would expose where we love this world more than we should, where our hope is in things that will not come through. I pray that you will expose them in us, that we would live in this life knowing that at times it'll be fun and at times it'll be meaningless. Father, that we might put all of our hope onto you, that our love would be for you, that we could see that we are to enjoy you and glorify you forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.